0: Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 14th of July, 2019. This morning we are joined by Henry Capper, who takes his reading from James chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, and brings us a message entitled, How to Be Wise. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, and it's good to be back here in Cumber. I have to say I, I do say that through gritted teeth in a sense, how to great time as many of you will know and Alfie alluded to it. I was in Philadelphia for the last three weeks. Philadelphia to be honest for me is is a second home. I've led a mission team out there to work with a a church there for now um, seven years. So um, eight summers actually. So I've been out eight summers. So it was great to to lead actually our, our biggest team. We had 24 folk who went out uh, from in around the Portadown area to work with a church in South Philadelphia so it's really really good to be back and be able to re- report that everything went well a um, couple of folk m- missed their flight and um, starting off with so it wasn't the, the greatest start to the journey it wasn't their fault that was American Customs in Dublin that was their fault and um, so not the biggest fans of them but eventually they got there um, and there's actually still a group that are still there and um, at the moment they're coming home um, tomorrow so if if you wouldn't mind uh, praying for them as they as they travel home uh, tomorrow night and just uh, as they re-enter I'm sure you've had that that maybe possibly you've had that mission team experience where it's maybe been somewhat of a, a mountaintop experience and then you sort of you come home and Sometimes you can come back and crash land, and it can be difficult as we re-enter back into normality. So pray for their hearts as they, as they um, just come back to, to home life, back to routine, to, to normality, and just to, to, to really re- reiterate. Um, uh, what Terry has said in regards to the announcements. Um, if, you, if you're available, if you're free to help with any of what is on this leaflet, which I'm sure is out, outside there, and um, please uh, come chat with me in regards to the Summer Club starting this Wednesday and then the Hall of the Bible Club um, towards the end of August. Um, every, uh, if you can't help, you can all pray. So please pray in regards to, to these outreaches. And um, it's not a numbers game, um, but we would love to see as many people there um, as possible at these these events. So do um, do consider that. Do pray. If, a month ago, once I was last here, uh, last here, um, towards the, the end of June, uh, the middle of June, I should say, we were we started looking at the New Testament letter in the book of James. Um, and maybe you remember that we're going to continue on looking at uh, the book of James. Let me start as you as you find that in your in your Bible. Let me start off by putting you into a, a situation, and within this scenario, you have to respond to this situation. This is it. Think about it. you have you have a friend, close friend, and they they are really they're really struggling. And it's not that this has been a momentary struggle that's just taken place in their life over the last couple of weeks. This has been going on for a while, and it's intense. It's not easy. It's very difficult. So you go and you meet your friends, and your desire, your, your heart behind the meeting is to encourage them, to, to uplift them. You want it to be a positive meeting. So the question is, well, what do you say to them? What are the words that you will say in that, that first interaction? What, how do you encourage them? More specifically, what do you say about God? Let's assume that your friend is a believer that knows and loves Jesus Christ and, and you are likewise. What do you say to that person who is struggling intensely about God? When you eventually start to talk about God, what's the first thing that you mention about him? Is that maybe you might go to talk about his love, his care. Think about God's compassion, his, his gentleness. Maybe talk about how God is patient with us. All good, all wonderful attributes of God. But that is not where the apostle James goes in the exact same situation, an even bigger situation as James is responding, not just to one individual, but to a whole host, a whole group of Christians, 12 tribes of folk who follow Jesus. Said James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, starts with, and this is where he goes, he starts with the wisdom of God, and with that, the availability of god's wisdom and that's what we're going to look at and um, this morning we're going to read just four verses from james chapter one we looked at the the first four verses and uh, sunday morning and then the, the sunday evening a pa- uh, month past we we looked at really uh, verse 17 specifically we are going to jog back a little bit as we look and consider james chapter one verses uh, five to eight and this is god's word in all his way, ways. Let's just pray briefly as we come before the Lord, as we consider his word. Our God, we thank you for all that you are to us. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. And at this moment, we, we come humbled and thankful for, for your word. Thank you for, for it. Thank you that we have it in our own language. We have so many copies of it Lord, we we value it and we appreciate and acknowledge it as, as your word. So, Lord, we know now that this is you speaking. So, would we be attentive to what you have to say to us? Lord, would you transform our lives? Speak to us as only you can through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the author is, is James. James, as, he, as you can see from the opening verse of James chapter 1, calls himself a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James, who was the, the actual the half-brother of Jesus Christ. James, who started off in disbelief, rejecting his brother, goes completely the other side and turns, as we find in the, in the Acts of the Apostles, as one who, who is a leader in the church He's the pastor of of the Jerusalem Church. He would lead the councils in Jerusalem, and then we get here that he would actually write one of the letters that would find itself in our um, in our Bible. James is writing, as I've mentioned before, to a group of, of believers, quite a, a number of people. There's 12 tribes them. These 12 tribes that were originally in the homeland of Israel would have found themselves in and around Jerusalem that have now been dispersed because of persecution. They're infant Christians. They've came out of the old Jewish customs. They're now in Christianity. And they're, they're suffering greatly, as we read in verse 2, these, these various trials all these difficult things that have came upon them. James uh, begins his letter to these persecuted believers in in the first four verses by reminding them of of the true reason, the the purpose behind these trials. These are not insignificant. These are not uh, barriers to God's blessing. But he is trying to, his aspiration is to, to lift their head up as we considered a month ago not that they would focus on on the the circumstance, that they would be completely overwhelmed by by their trial, but that they would would begin to have an eternal perspective, that they wouldn't just be focusing the here and now, or maybe what has been, or maybe what's going to happen next week, but they would see what's going to happen ultimately in our lives. That eternal perspective to suffer for Christ is, 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 not, just, uh, uh, is not just something that is, can overwhelm or something that is negative, but it's actually honorable. It's something that a believer, as James will say, can actually count as joyful. You can have joy even in trials and suffering. Trials that, that you and I face, that these believers face, they're, they're not irrelevant. They are not insignificant events. As I said, they're not barriers to the blessing of God, but they're occasions which God can be glorified as we grow in likeness of his son. Now, in the first four verses in James 1, apart from the personal introduction by James himself, we we find no no mention of God. Though in verse 5, as we've read, James introduces to his readers the God of heaven. And the majestic characteristic that James starts with is, as we thought, the wisdom of God. Maybe it might not be where you've went to. Maybe it might come as a bit of surprise that James would start here. But this is where James go. This is where he starts off with the wisdom of God. This is what James feels as a pastor, as someone who would have known these believers. This is exactly what they need to hear about God. And this is what they need in their lives. Verse 5 reads If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and all be given him. For James, the explanation between these apparently opposed matters of, of trials and suffering and to have joy within them is wisdom, is to have wisdom, to be able to experience true joy in the light of suffering. That person. Must be wise, but the particular and specific wisdom that James is talking about is that they would have the wisdom from heaven. This would be a divine, godly uh, wisdom. So to help us look through these these just four verses, I'm going to I'm going to pose three questions for us as we think through these. First question is: We'll consider is what is wisdom? Then we'll think about how do we get wisdom? And then the third and final one is. What hinders us from being wise? These are questions that James really asks implicitly in these verses, and, and he helpfully gives us the appropriate response and answers. Though we're not going to be restrained just to these verses, we're going to look at other passages in Scripture as well, as we, as we want to, to process what he is trying to put across to us in a deeper level. So the first thing we want to look at is, What is wisdom? The Bible is, is full of wisdom. We could say even more, greater than that is the Bible is itself wisdom. As it is the inspired word, word of God. There's, there's no directives. There's no advice. There's no instructions contained within God's holy word from God himself that, that is unwise. If you're familiar um, with the Bible, you'll know that the Bible contains in many genres. We're looking at James; that's, that's a letter. It's a letter from someone um, to so often letters are to groups of churches or to a church or sometimes to an individual. And one of the other genres we find in the Old Testament is the wisdom genre, wisdom literature. Familiar Old Testament books you may be familiar with: Job, Psalm. Uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, but the most, and probably the most famous of the wisdom literature is Proverbs. Proverbs, you, 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 find these, these, these little uh, sayings and phrases and just monologues and um, start off in Proverbs, these ten talks from a father um, to a son. And there, there's littered throughout the book of Proverbs um, healthy um, ways to, to live our lives. And are guarantees, there are more guidelines in how to live a godly and God glorifying life. Read in Proverbs 1, in one uh, in verses 1 to 7 and then we read in Proverbs 9 to 10, which is a summary of that, of that, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. True wisdom, according to the Bible, begins with the fear, that's not being scared of God, but really better understood as, as worship and, and love, faithful obedience of God. Proverbs 3, verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, same word, and turn away from evil. Wisdom in Scripture is always connected. It is always married, always partnered with God. God in the Bible is the epitome of wisdom. He is always wise because God is is all-knowing. God has never made an unwise decision. God has never uttered an unwise word. We don't have to just hang our faith of God's wisdom on his words, though really that would be good enough, but we're very grateful that we see God's wisdom displayed to us. We see it firstly in in creation. Again, going back to Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 19 to 20. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. God is wise in his creation of everything that has been and that will be. God is, is also wise and in an ultimate sense in salvation. I won't read it all, but 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 30, it's that wonderful collection of words by the, the Apostle Paul that outlines how, how God uses what the world views as, as weak and foolishness, and he uses that to, to shame them, to shame the strong God. In, in his wisdom, which we struggle with, is would use a wooden Roman cross. God would use the death of his son, Jesus Christ, to proclaim his ultimate wisdom. God, in his, his perfect wisdom, would use the means of a cross to see sinners like you and me. That, that was God's wisdom in the cross at Calvary. God displays his wisdom in creation he displays it in salvation but what does it actually mean for us to be wise according according to James in this passage and in relation to the context in which in which he is writing to to these believers wisdom is the ability to see past immediate situations Think about with me for a moment about the, the opposite of wisdom. Think about someone, maybe you might know somebody, maybe someone springs to your mind who you would think is, is unwise. How would you characterize that person? Usually, once you think of someone who is unwise, we think of someone who is rash, they're, they're unthoughtful, they're an individual that makes decisions just in the heat of the moment, they don't think it through. They certainly don't think about uh, potential consequences that may happen. And quite often an unwise person is someone who is um, is self-centered. They're usually not the person that is making decisions in light of the people around them and how their actions may actually affect the people around them as well. However, the way of of the wise person, which is surely all of our heart's desire, surely that is something we want to be. We want to be known to be wise people. No one wants to be that that person I've just described. We want to be wise people making well-informed decisions and making wise choices in our lives. The way of the wise is to see the bigger picture. In the context of, of the passage in James, wisdom is being able to understand the reason and relationship between trials and joy. And the real truth is that we need we, wisdom if we are to understand why we go through trials. Without the wisdom of heaven, we will, we will not understand. We won't be able to fathom why, why we, we, we would suffer whether that 's whether we 're a Christian or not we 're going to suffer regardless, but the Christian with the wisdom of God can understand why this takes place, so we need the, the divine wisdom of heaven to comprehend why this happens I was just listening earlier, and I 'd written it down, but I was listening on the way down here of how the world just can 't understand death, can't understand evil. Once suffering happens, it just does not have an answer. And I am utterly convinced the most adequate and best answer comes from Christianity. Christianity is the only thing, the only religion that can properly answer why, why there's death, why there's suffering, why there's, there's evil. Can't under, the watching world cannot understand how, how Christians can suffer suffer. There's something that makes the, 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 the atheist, there's something that makes the person outside of Christ question and query once they hear stories of people in, in Egypt, and in Syria, in North Korea, that would give their lives for this, this religion. The, 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 the non-Christian can't understand why someone would do this. But wisdom is God's gift. Wisdom enables us to see our hardships as, as the training ground in which God molds his children into the likeness of his glorious son, Jesus Christ. That is the point of our lives, as I made um, previously. Uh, that is God's will for, for your life. You want to know God's will for your life? That's it, to become more like Jesus Christ. It's very simple. Is that your will for your life? Is your is your will to become more like Jesus Christ? Is it? Only you can answer that. That is God's will. That is God's desire for all who breathe on this earth is to become more like his Son, Jesus Christ. Wisdom Wisdom is important. It's crucial to live. But the understanding of wisdom really leads us into our second question: In how do we get wisdom? Let's read uh, verses five and the first half of, of, of verse six. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. It's 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 the obvious question: How how do, how does one become wise? How does somebody embody wisdom? Is there, is there some sort of 10-step plan to follow and afterward you, you get presented with a certificate and you graduate with a degree in wisdom? Well, not quite, and more than that, not at all. To acquire wisdom is, drumroll, we ask God for it. you want a straightforward answer? Well, there it is. God, who is the the overflowing reservoir of wisdom, is the source for which his children are to come and drink and to grow in wisdom. There's a lot more that needs to be said about it, but that's how we get and acquire wisdom. Asking for something always implies that, that we lack something. If I ask for food, it implies that I need food, I'm hungry. If I ask for the TV remote, it it tells that I want to change the channel or I don't like what's on the TV or I want to watch something. If I ask for the Wi-Fi password, it tells you that I don't have internet or I've run out of my data on my phone. I need Wi-Fi. Once we ask for something, it tells us and it tells the world that we lack something, that we need something. And that's what James implies in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... He implies that, well, actually, everyone lacks wisdom. So we need to, to go and ask God for wisdom, which in turn reminds us that we, we can't rely on our own strength. We can't rely on our own, um, our own understanding, which feeds back in the Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, 7, that like, we do not trust, we don't lean on what we know. We do not trust in our own ability, our own strength true wisdom is rejecting your own earthly your own sinful desires and your own ideologies but that true wisdom is running toward the source of wisdom which is god and his word however james teaches that in asking god for wisdom it is to be done in the position of faith we are to embrace active faith, that we intentionally do something in response to God. We don't sit in our hands, we don't twiddle our thumbs and assume God will somehow just plant his wisdom deep down within us. No, we make the conscious decision to believe that God is wise and then that we act and we ask. However, gaining wisdom is not just simply a one-time purchase. It's not that we just go to the wisdom car dealership, buy a, buy a car and there it's ours forever. No, that we, 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 we have to acknowledge that we constantly need to ask. We do not attain wisdom and then become fully filled and we'll be wise to the end of our days. No, instead what happens is, and it's just like the process of sanctification, which is the process of becoming more like Jesus, becoming more holy, is that, that we grow. We constantly grow. We constantly learn. It, and it involves an ongoing process. So we constantly have to ask, constantly have to pray, asking God for, for more wisdom. In the moments where we just need to shoot an hour of prayer, where we need to think on in the moments where we ask God, Lord, would you help me to be wise and make an informed decision? So, this process, this, this ongoing journey, this, this road of wisdom, it may appear to be a daunting one. Certainly, know that the Christian life is not easy. It's not certainly straightforward. Nothing of real value comes cheap. Growing in wisdom demands self denial and acceptance that we need help. The unwise person rejects the gracious help of god whereas the wise person acknowledges their limitations and cries to god for assistance james wants to encourage his readers to, to uh, about god and whom they come to think about the second half of the first uh, five if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask god Here it is, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Outside of God, outside of the creator of the universe and his intervention, wisdom is just an impossibility for mere humans like you and I. But God, even though he is this this reservoir of, of wisdom, he's not hoarding it away. He's not like the selfish child who's just been to the sweet shop that wants to keep them all the sweets to themselves. But no, God is, is the gracious Father who, who seeks the well-being of children. God is the one who, who generously and lovingly gives. And he gives with, without reproach that he won't condemn. No, no, he won't make a big deal of those who come and admit their, 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 their feelings and ask for more. God delights when his children tell him how, how frail and inexperienced they are and come to him for their, for daily needs. Cause that, in that moment, that is the moment when grace can be received. Once we acknowledge that we are in need, that we have failed, that's when grace comes into our lives. That itself is grace once we realize that we need something outside of ourselves. And furthermore, we need God and his intervention. So the simple question that we need to ask our hearts is this, is this how we view God? This, this generous, abundantly giving and providing God, is that how we, how we think? Is the, is the God of heaven and earth in, in your mind's eye a generously giving father? Or is he maybe potentially because of your experiences, because of, of your past, is the one who is hoarding it away? God is the distant being. How could we say anything otherwise? And maybe this is coming through your mind. The words of Romans 8 and verse 32. He, again, the Apostle Paul, he who did not spare his own son, but give him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, models sacrificial generosity that the world has never seen before. And will never see again that God himself in the form of Jesus Christ, the son, would come and would lay his life down for this entire world. Jesus would die for me. Jesus would die for you. And that is the greatest, that is the ultimate sacrifice that this world has ever seen. God did not even spare his own son. Surely how would he not give us all things how could he, that he's give us his, his son? His son would die on a Roman cross for you. In our place, in the place of, of my sin, your sin, this whole world's sin, that Jesus would take on the wrath of God in that instance at Calvary. How could we say, in light of knowing that, and what happened at Calvary, that God won't help us in other situations? That God won't give and generously give? we have to remember that this isn't just sort of blank check yes jesus has died we praise him that he died but that he rose again defeating death and he done that on for our behalf we remember this is this 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 gracious giving is all done in faith we ask in faith and faith in god surely acknowledges the reality of the world that we live in we live in a fallen broken world Tribulations left, right, and center. I'm sure they're in your life as well as mine. Especially if you're a believer, you're you're gonna have difficult times. But these are these should not be viewed, and we should grow in our mindset and understand that these aren't blockades, but these are avenues to Christ likeness and growing in Him. And really, with all that, that brings us to our final question that we want to want to think about. From these verses, and that is what hin- what hinders us from being wise. And the simple answer, and you can read it with me, is that James gives is doubt. What hinders you from being wise? What hinders this world? What hinders the, these 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 new Christians two thousand years from from being wise? It was doubt. It was doubt. Read with me in uh, verses six to eight. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Doubt is expressed in vivid and clear terms by James. It's not something to be glossed over by the reader. It's important to note that, that, that the doubter that's made reference, the, the double-minded man that James refers to, it's, it's somebody who does believe that they're a follower of Jesus. They, they do have the assurance of, of salvation, but their life's actions totally contradict their life of faith. And the severe warning that James gives, and we can't just gloss over this and just walk past it and not take note, is given in verse 7. This is the warning that for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. The one who doubts must not suppose that he will all of a sudden receive blessing from God. And the illustration that James offers in in verse 6, that should hit us hard once we read that. Especially if we're maybe used to this passage. We've read it a hundred times. James says the doubter is the one who is like a wave driven and tossed by the wind. The, wave, the wave's controlled by the wind. It's controlled by what's going on around them, what they can what what is happening, their external circumstances. Then James extends it more and he says that they're they're a double-minded man. Really that means they're they're doubled souled. They have one soul within them that believes, but then they have one soul that does not. And further than that, they're unstable in all their ways. The, double, uh, the double-minded man is, is, is not someone wrestling with doubt, but they're someone who's rejecting the help of God. He's explicitly saying, Do you know what, God, I don't need you. We could put it like this. They're, they're the person who's a, who's a Christian, They've got their ticket for, for heaven and they, they just don't, they don't pray. They don't seek the help of Christians. They're, they're not often found in church on a Sunday. God, do you know what? I, I don't need you. The doubter is one who's out of control. They're blinding themselves to blessings and they're blinding themselves to the character of God. The life they live is not built on solid ground. But how they live is being impacted by, by all the worries, all their trials, tribulations that are going on around them. They're living outside the confines of faith. And even though this person believes, and even though this person may be indwelt by the Spirit, they remove themselves from the line to receive the blessing of wisdom. Their doubting in unstable ways means they refrain from asking God for wisdom. So therefore... They receive no help. In the midst of their trouble, they don't ask God, and they don't get God's help. So they go through their trials. They go through their lives without grasping the reason behind why somebody would suffer, how someone could have joy in the midst. And ultimately, they miss out on the possibility of, pers- of personal growth and spiritual maturity. The call, the, the invitation of God is simple and it's straightforward and it's this. It's to ask him in faith. In this situation, it's to ask him for, for wisdom, to be wise and we are to do so in the position of faith. And as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus, what else could we do? What other possible avenue could we go down? If we, if we do not have faith in God, then we, um, we don't lean on His understanding, but we decide to lean on our own. We, we will simply live tragically desperate lives. If we are in trials, if we face difficult situations and ask for wisdom, truly believing, it's, it's no, no simple in this. God will give it. God will, will allow you to be wise it's quite simple. There's, there's no secret formula. There. There's no magical steps. The generous God of the universe, the God who is and was and will ever be, offers his wisdom to you and I. Just meditate on that for just a moment. God who, who as we thought about, who is wise in creation, who is wise in salvation, says, you can have my wisdom you you can be wise you can grow in your wisdom how could we not come to that god once you think of how gracious and how generous god is that he would offer not just himself but would give us so much more as we conclude let's think about this is god asking for perfect faith is he asking that, well, we just have to have believe perfectly? Is it just that our, our faith would be 100%? It would be, it'd be, it'd be so impressive that, that God would just give us all the wisdom. No, it's not what God is asking for. It's obviously not because we can't attain that level. That's impossible for us. What God is asking that simply is that we would persevere. He's calling you, he's calling me to live by faith, not, not by sight, We're called to live by what God has done for you and promises will ultimately give you. In the midst of our trials, God reminds us that he is there. God has not went AWOL, but but offers his kind assistance. God generously offers his wisdom to those who have faith in him. And the Lord is pleased to give wisdom and gives generously to all without reproach. Would we be a people? Would we be a church? Would we be individuals who wholeheartedly ask God for his wisdom as we live our lives in response to what he has done for us? Let's pray. Father, you did not withhold even giving us your son. We thank you for Jesus who would leave heaven and come to earth, take on the form of a human, live perfectly, would die obediently, but would rise victoriously. And from that, for the, the greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation that you give us, Lord, how could we not think that you would give us so much more? Lord, we, we come in faith before you and ask that you would help us to see who you truly are. You're the generous, giving God. You're the God who, who offers himself to us. You're the God who offers his wisdom to us. Lord, would we not put buyers with our, our, our own self-deception, our own pride getting in the way from us asking humbly for you to make us more wise lord help us in that help us to be more like you lord would we be wise in our decisions in our actions in how we live our lives lord thank you for those of us today that that know you that you have planted your wisdom in us that you have saved us that we have had the acknowledgement of our sin and that we have ran toward you to receive the grace that you freely give Lord, would we be encouraged, would we be uplifted as we're reminded of that and who you continue to be and what you mean to us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.